Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, a podcast where we explore compelling themes and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. I'm Brittany. And this week, we are exploring the theme of leadership in Star Wars. Before we get into our analysis, we're going to start with a quote. This quote comes from episode one, The Phantom Menace. And this is a discussion between Queen Amidala and Senator Palpatine. After she has made the vote of no confidence against Chancellor Valorum, and it's become clear the Senate will take far too long to help Naboo. Senator, this is your arena. I feel I must return to mine. I've decided to go back to Naboo. Go back? But, Your Majesty, be realistic. They'll force you to sign the treaty. I will sign no treaty, Senator. My fate will be no different from that of our people. Yes, Senator. I'm not going to sign the treaty. Sheave. <laughs> Sheave. <laughs> it's, just, it's just such a great name to be like Sheave. Yeah, yeah. Sheave Palpatine is uh, not yeah. the, the most frightening. I can understand why she didn't think that he was the Dark Lord of the Sith. <laughs> yeah. But I think this is a good quote in showing the leadership of Padme and how she sees herself as a representative of her people who thus should not be far away from their fate, their, you know, what they're going through, through the the Trade Federation blockade. Isn't that an interesting form of leadership? You know, (laughs) my fate should be the same of the people I'm leading. Like, that's not often how it's done Mm -hmm. in the world. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, she's knowingly putting herself into harm's way and saying that she's going to refuse to sign this treaty at pain of suffering and yet still knows that that she's going to do more good not only in solidarity with but actually being there with her her people and Mm -hmm. proactively leading the action to help liberate them yeah yeah absolutely this is of course also before we know that Padme and Queen Amidala are the same person. Up to this point has been very regal. She's, I think, been respectable and inspirational in the way that she leads and the way that she sticks to her ideals. But yeah, the fa- you know, I think the ways that later on you see Padme come out and kneel to Boss Nass and in some ways apologize to the Gungans and try to lead through authenticity and sincerity, again, putting herself in more harm. Yeah, it's just, I, I admire her leadership in, in this movie for sure. Mm-hmm. But why don't we move into our analysis? So what character did you bring to talk about leadership in Star Wars? Well, speaking of Padme, I decided to talk about her. At first, I was thinking about talking about Leia, but I think Padme actually has some more interesting elements going on Mm. and like nuances to leadership than leia does even though leia is really strong and really powerful and we get to see her in a couple different leadership roles or maybe three different leadership roles over the movies Mm. um yeah i think padme there's there's a little more nuance going on there Mm. so yeah as as you were talking about like she starts as this really like passionate queen who refuses to take action that could lead war to her people and could increase their suffering and then 
you know, she, she travels to go appeal to the Galactic Senate and in so doing kind of sheds light on some of the bureaucratic inefficiencies and ways that things can be problematic when you're dealing with intense, mm. super immediate needs. Mm -hmm. And then she unfortunately makes a mistake of trusting Palpatine and helps kind of instigate this vote for no confidence in Chancellor Valorum, which then puts Palpatine in power and, you know, everything goes down from there. <laughs> uh, I, I'm still a little fuzzy on how exactly a queen from a random planet has so much power to, like, kind of sway the Senate, but I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, she, <laughs> I, it, it seems like she and Naboo are very well-respected. Mm -hmm. And it, I also imagine Not enough that, to take action to begin with, but... Yeah. And I imagine that senators are representatives of their heads of state. And so having a head of state come to the Senate itself is probably a big deal as well. It's, you know, like with the UN, when in the General Assembly, a president comes rather than the ambassador, probably has some more gravitas, but... Yeah, uh, it's an interesting and like that she puts forward this motion and then her senator is put up as the new replacement is that should raise red flags totally. as well. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but then going into the second movie of the prequels, she kind of upholds this democratic form of government by you know, actually ending her term as queen <laughs> instead of extending it and and becomes a senator herself. And then things go downhill <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, assassins come after her and that kind of ends her role as a leader in the films because she flees and robs the cradle and gets pregnant and then doesn't really do anything consequential until she dies. Mm. Yeah, apparently from losing the will to live, <laughs> which is, yeah, a thing. To me, it would have been so much better if she had been told that, oh, the, the babies died in childbirth mm. And they were taken away or, you know, something because of the relation to Anakin. And then she just spends the rest of her life trying to fight the Empire, you know. Mm. And even, we don't have to see that happen, but it would happen. It seems so much more in her character than what did happen. But that is what happened. <laughs> I, I heard an interesting fan theory the other day that when Palpatine talks about how the dark side gives you the, the ability to manipulate life. Mm-hmm. That... He actually killed her? He killed her by taking her life and giving it to Vader. And that's how Vader survived hmm. these really awful injuries. And that like... That's interesting theory. I don't... I don't believe that that's what Lucas had in mind. <laughs> but I find it more interesting than her ha losing the will to live, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to believe it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But when Lucas writes the, the dialogue about <laughs> sand and, I mean, I don't like sand, but you know what I'm talking about. It's 
you lose a little bit of faith in <laughs> just a little yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i just i wanted to talk about her because i think that her character brings to light some like of the challenges of leadership mm. and having to work with other leaders that might be real bad or a system that is inefficient or different things. Like maybe the reason you became the leader was because you're passionate about things, but that doesn't mean you can always execute the things that you want to and mm. help the people you want to help. And I think it also shows how leaders can sometimes make a mistake or a bad decision that contributes to really unfortunate events and, and greater suffering of, of people. Yeah, and, and I appreciate it because it does show her, yeah, it shows her being manipulated by Palpatine. But the fact that she then, as we saw in her quote, she then still goes back to the planet regardless of his plans mm-hmm. and fights to get the Trade Federation off and, and free Naboo from, from the control that he... Does she go to get the Trade Federation off? Is, yeah, she is gets them off. Is that what she's doing? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I don't remember that part in the movie, but... Anyway, <laughs> she shows... She uses her agency and shows that she's not just a dupe. And that's good character building for both of them because it shows that she is still a strong and idealistic leader with integrity but it also shows that palpatine is savvy enough to manipulate even someone who has her intelligence and critical thinking skills and who's able to to be such a strong leader so well and maybe it has kind of like an interesting look towards the future that he's doing all of these manipulative things but at the end of the day she doesn't choose to do what he thinks expects her to do Mm -hmm. and he thinks he's all powerful and he can just do whatever he wants and he can for a good number of years but at the end i mean we're taking this the sequels out because (laughs) i'm not even talking about the rise of skywalker Uh, so with how the originals ended that was his undoing Mm. which i think yeah I think it's significant that being one of the most powerful people in the universe does not mean that people will just do everything that you think they will. You can still not anticipate what they'll do and other human actions, other human agency can still take you down. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but why don't we move into your plot point? Okay. So I want to talk about a sequel trilogy film, but not Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to talk about Thank you for that. Uh, The Last Jedi. Okay. And this will probably echo some of the conversation about The Last Jedi. But I want to talk about basically the interactions between Poe and Holdo in that film. Mm-hmm. Because that's one of the central tensions and conflicts of the film is when Leia's injured, Admiral Vice Admiral Holdo takes over and Poe doesn't trust her. Uh, mm-hmm. He had recently been demoted himself for his brash behavior. And so Poe, he starts demanding answers from Holdo. And she doesn't have the time to give them to him. And so he, you know, after he's dismissed, essentially, he organizes a mutiny against her. That is only st- really stopped after Leia wakes up and stuns him (laughs) yeah and so i think that this this interaction is is interesting because we see some good and some less good 
narratives about leadership involved here. Uh, I think that that Poe's leadership is one of the, is one of the central themes of the the film, and it kind of comes this wider discussion of in the sequel trilogy if this is really going to be about this new cast, these new characters who are coming in, then they have to be put into leadership positions. We cannot just rely on Luke and Leia and Han for, you know, saving the day. And so if, if these are really going to be our protagonists... Suddenly Han is leading a mess- mission to Endor. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so if, if, these, if these are our protagonists, then we should see them in leadership positions. And I like the fact that they take the time, even in the second movie of the trilogy, to let Poe struggle with what that means, with being a leader and not just a brash flyboy and having to take seriously the responsibilities that come with that and other forms of loyalty. Because after Leia is hurt, he's able to organize this mutiny and he does this because he and his co-conspirators they don't have as much loyalty to the cause and to the organization of the resistance as they do to individuals where once the person who they had faith in leia is gone this person who comes in who is a representative of the system who has been in the resistance long enough to be a vice admiral they don't have implicit trust in her and so Poe's able to get enough people to have faith in him that he knows better. And he doesn't. <laughs> True. Do you think it's, though, that it's that they don't have enough faith in the cause? Or, like, a loyalty to the cause? Or do you think that they don't have faith in her, but they have loyalty to the cause? And so that's why they feel like they need to go over her head. Yeah, I shouldn't say to the cause. I mean more to the organization. To yeah, the, the structure of it. Exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think that's interesting as well because they're not soldiers, really. They're freedom fighters. They're rebels. I mean, that's something that I was totally thinking about, how ironic it is that they have, like, a military structure Mm -hmm. and, like, they're the so-called rebels. It's like, when I think of military-based structure, rebelliousness is, like, the farthest thing from my (laughs) mind because those things don't coincide well. Mm -hmm. And you see these things kind of coming to a head here. Which I'm sure it would happen a, lo- a lot um, mm-hmm. in an organization of, of random people who are all against the same thing, but maybe don't think that it all should be done the same way. Yeah. And and that was one of the things that, uh, one of the kind of questions and, and, and things that I think could be critiqued of this dynamic. In some ways, it kind of highlights how the resistance, which I think is admittedly more legitimate than the rebellion was even though it it has a lot of the similar trappings because it is at least informally acting in concert with the the republic the new republic but these organizations both of them the rebellion and the resistance they take on these formal military structures in the way they do their organization and i think in the holdo poe dynamic we see that almost justified, that Poe was wrong to question his superior and that he should have had faith in the system is one way that you could read it. And maybe that's not a good reading. Maybe we should be Mm -hmm. saying, oh, 
maybe these organizations, if they're really going to be rebelling, they shouldn't be doing so in a way that is just supplanting it with a different form of the same kinds of hierarchies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think it's, you know, surprise, surprise, Star Wars is not radical, but <laughs> a more radical rebellion would maybe be one that critiques and, and, and is more critical of those kinds of structures and instead has one that is really democratic, uh, almost the way mm-hmm. that we think of like anarchism in political thought and theory. Not that it comes to that in the final movie of the trilogy, because now it's just like, let's use the exact same hierarchy, but now I'm in charge, so I'm okay with it. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, and yes, yeah. there's there's many ways that this final movie does not, uh, does not take the baton that The Last <laughs> Jedi handed it and run with it. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like... I feel for Poe in The Last Jedi because I don't like hierarchical structures in Mm -hmm. that way because I don't care necessarily how long you've been there or just because you outrank me doesn't mean that I don't have a good idea Mm -hmm. or that I can't think of or someone else can't think of something differently in important ways. So it's like I feel for that, but I'm also like annoyed at him because the way in which he goes about it, I feel like is very like mansplainy sort totally. of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, there's there's some Which, interesting I mean, complications there. This is probably how things would happen a little more in real life. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I think it's interesting, even if I don't love every aspect about it. Another thing I have mixed feelings about is her final decision to sacrifice herself in what becomes known as the Holdo Maneuver, going, going into hyperspace right through a First Order Dreadnought, which mm-hmm. looked awesome and was a really, really striking moment. Yeah. But yeah, she, she does this, which I think narratively is a frustrating trope that's like, oh, the character who you weren't sure about the whole movie, they have to sacrifice themselves to prove to that sure. they were actually right all along. Yeah. And it's also just logistically a bad idea to have your leader be the person to sacrifice himself. Like if she did gain that position because she had skills and knowledge that was useful for the resistance, she didn't have to be the person who was pressing that, pressing that button. Yeah, I mean, she should have had a little meeting and be like, who's willing to do this? If no one is, I will do it. Exactly. Because you don't want to, like, force someone to do it. And also maybe true. she has a nice, much more humane way of looking at droids. So it's not like, oh, I'm just going to, like, make a droid do this. <laughs> because as we've talked about agency and all of these, right. these questions. So, yes, good that she's not just assigning mm-hmm. the suicide mission to a person. But, yeah, you should see if anyone wants to volunteer. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh... So I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of men who want to be heroes there. <laughs> so, yes, I just I think that that's a really interesting way to examine these kinds of larger concepts of leadership within the rebellion and the resistance um, totally. and seeing it really come to a head narratively, even if I'm not 100 percent on board with all of the kind of narrative outcomes that come from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Well, why don't we move into our compelling questions? Yeah, so my question for you is, how effective do you think Darth Vader's leadership style is? Oh, that's a great question. Because he 
Force chokes a lot of dudes. He really does. <laughs> uh, I just finished reading the anthology of short stories about The Empire Strikes Back, the From oh, a Certain yeah. Point of View mm-hmm. uh, books. I'd previously read the Star Wars one. This one was for The Empire Strikes Back. Each of them came out for the 40th anniversary of those films. And they're... The Star Wars one as opposed to the non-Star Wars one. <laughs> a New Hope. Sorry. <laughs> it's fine. I like to make fun of you whenever yes. I can. And each of these anthologies has 40 short stories of characters who are not main characters, who are not protagonists. They're often background characters or characters with, you know, a line or characters who weren't even in the movie but are, you know, are in the setting that different scenes and things take place. Yeah. It's like, oh, I was walking around on Bespin. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Or in Cloud City. I was like, those things. (laughs) Those things? I mean... It's very useful for our audio audience to understand what those things is when you move your hands like that. Yes, I was moving my hands, but there there was this great dramatic family childhood moment of us playing Star Wars Trivial Pursuit. And, like, there was a question, and I can't even remember which it was, but one of we said it was Bespin, but the actual answer was Cloud City or vice versa. And then people were like, that was wrong. But we're like, but, uh-huh. <laughs> So, yeah. 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 Okay. Th- th- those things. Yes, those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the audio listeners should have known by my flailing hands that the backstory of my childhood. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the reason I brought up... <laughs> The books to begin with is because many of the stories are of Imperial officers, and mm. a lot of them are reflecting on how they are treated by <laughs> Lord Vader. That's great. <laughs> and so this is actually something that's, that's kind of on my mind. And yeah, because he, he rules through fear mm. and he kind of frames it as he's only going to be failed once by any person, which... I can see how the the concept is a way of encouraging competence because someone the first time they make a mistake they know they'll that they'll be killed. Mm-hmm. Admiral Piet made it so far. <laughs> he made it to admiral. Exactly. And and it does he survived two movies. <laughs> it does make me think like. How vast are the Empire's resources? (laughs) Real vast, apparently. They have to be very vast. But at the same time, the resource of time is very limited. Because you can only have so many officers who have the level of experience needed (laughs) to be an admiral. So... I mean, is their technology that advanced? They just, like, pull a lever slowly. (laughs) And then a planet blows up. Maybe you don't need that much training. Yeah, I, I do not know. I'm not an admiral myself. I've not gone through that training. I don't know what it actually looks like. But I imagine it, it has something to do with understanding how ships work. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so so thinking about Vader's leadership style, it makes me think that he is probably a good motivator in the short term. But long term, if, you know, it's been apparently, I think, three years between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. How many people has he choked out in those three years in these high-level positions? They're not grunts who are coming in. He's not 
often like choking the messenger who yeah. gives them, he kills the person who made the decision who's typically high ranking and maybe so maybe this is how they advertise it's like <laughs> upward mobility happens faster than you think you know it's like you can start and then in two weeks you're promoted we have a high turnover rate <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> So yeah, I think that it's it's probably a uh, a not very effective way of maintaining a strong structure. But at the same time, I think it is interesting to think about yeah how Vader and the Emperor are these almost mythic figures, and how the First Order can come about because at least I think in part of the deification of them by the true believer followers who are likely the white men equivalent who are the ones who benefit <laughs> from this racist hierarchy. But either way, they're people who, you know, I, I think Hux is a good example of this. People who really believe in these kinds of ide ideologies and who see these people at the top who probably they actually never see but who are able to to lead through this kind of mythic presence. Yeah, just thinking about things in sociological kind of perspective of most of human history has not been democratic, has not been one in which basic rights are respected and leaders have still been considered great at times. So maybe they would be considered that way themselves just because of the, yeah, the kind of mythic quality that comes to their identities. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But what were you thinking? Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about, obviously, the turnover rate. I was thinking about and kind of how that leadership style by fear is kind of emblematic of the empire as a whole. Hmm. Because that's the whole thing. Like, fear will keep the systems in line. Mm. And... Even as Darth Vader says at one point, the Emperor isn't as forgiving as I am. <laughs> so I wonder how much he learned it from the Emperor. Yeah, I think he has Jedi powers. He could use mind control hmm. on people to get people to do things that he wants or whatnot. But yeah, he does use fear and violence more than anything else. I think you see that you see the effects of that when in the final movie of, of the original trilogy Luke is like dragging him away and everyone is just running to mm. ships they're they're leaving and nobody is stopping to help him no one cares about him because yeah all he does is get you to follow via fear so yeah those are some of my thoughts that's really interesting yeah and, and it also makes me think in comparison to Kylo Ren, who also tries to utilize fear and violence as a method of control, but at least from what we see on screen, he is less effective at maintaining that loyalty or that control mm -hmm. because Hux turns against him, Hux questions him in front of other soldiers, and those are things that would never happen with Vader. And so, yeah, yeah, there is something I think about Vader's leadership that is more competent than at least Kylo Ren as another example of someone who tries to do the same thing. 
Yeah. And I, I think probably his mental instability has something to do with it. Mm-hmm. Not that Vader's super stable in the scheme of things, but, but he, he, he translates that, that way much more so exactly. than, than Kylo Ren does. His, he translates that into a personality of calm and detached mm-hmm. kind of controlled fury rather than yeah. Kylo Ren's chaotic fury. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But what about, what about you? What's your question for me? Why do you think the Jedi were put in charge of the clone army? Because people make real bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to have a follow-up as to whether you thought it was a good idea or not, but... <laughs> I mean, just in general, the Jedi Council is disappointing at best. <laughs> Um, I think maybe because the Jedi Order is supposed to be maintaining peace, that that's what their mission statement would be, whether we believe it's true or not, as they've been used as warriors Mm -hmm. (laughs) doing the, the Senate's bidding. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that optically is why it would it would mm. look better than you have the galactic senate but there are systems outside of that if they have this huge clone army then maybe other separatists other groups would ban against them and i think also probably from palpatine's perspective if you have all of these jedi interacting with these clones all the time then when you are going to give the order to kill all the Jedi, they're already right there, you mm-hmm. know? So it's it's easier access. Yeah, for sure. That that those kinds of political reasons and nefarious reasons are <laughs> uh, are are both involved and in, and I like yeah, I like that that perspective of this being more of Palpatine scheming. It wonder it makes me wonder also whether it's tied into more of the kind of breakdown of democracy and the being overwhelmed by bureaucracy that we see in the Republic as kind of leading to or building the environment for the rise of the Sith. Because ultimately, if the Senate can't decide on anything, the Jedi Council are less democratic. And that Mm -hmm. allows for things to get done. And for a military campaign, that kind of lack of democracy can actually be more effective at having a quote-unquote effective military because every single decision in wartime is an ethical quagmire (laughs) (laughs) and the more voices that you have there who have a say in it the less ability you have to make those decisions easily yeah that is an interesting idea that the senate you're having all of these different elected officials from all of these different planets and they're all going to be to a large degree looking out for their own people Mm -hmm. but then that begs the question who are the jedi looking out for like who are they aligned with if you're going to have so much diversity within the galactic senate for what people think should be happening and conflict between different groups and all of that then yeah is the Jedi Order only aligned with the Chancellor? Like, who are they supposed to be aligned with? 
theoretically the Jedi are coming from a bunch of different places originally, mm-hmm. but having been trained at such a young age, it's like they just live, breathe, sleep all in this temple, you know? So they're going to be very kind of isolated in terms of probably getting as diverse perspectives and and interacting with different communities and like in a way that would have them have a stake in those communities, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which is also, I think, that they are woefully unprepared to be generals (laughs) in this war. Yes, go back to my first comment (laughs) after your question. It really is not a great idea. And... You know, you could argue that that's one of the reasons why Obi-Wan and Anakin became so respected because they had leadership abilities. They were able to, and we see this a lot in the the Clone Wars cartoons, they're able to inspire loyalty in the clone troopers that they work with and they're able to come up with interesting tactical ideas and, and they have skills that assist them on the battlefield. And most Jedi will not have that after a lifetime of learning how to get in touch with the Force and hopefully be peacekeepers. And so, yeah, I think that that the idea that these peacekeepers, that these, these warrior monks are the ones who are becoming the heads of this army is, I don't know, It, I wish it was questioned more Mm. i wish that that you know it wasn't just taken as a given that of course the jedi are powerful they have these laser swords and the ability to use them in these these amazing ways and so they should be the head of an army just because they are the strongest and wouldn't it be nice if it was questioned within the jedi order as well like Mm -hmm. wait why are they giving us all of (laughs) these clones like i don't want to be that's not our role wait we're fighting who people who want sovereignty like independence (laughs) and we're against them why (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's what the the uh, female jedi voice but they never had any lines so we didn't get to hear that part (laughs) but it's it's funny because in the clone wars it is ahsoka's friend who's really the one who (laughs) says this is a woman (laughs) yes or is female so But now we're devolving into missed opportunities. So maybe we we should enter our official missed opportunities. Sure, sure. What's your missed opportunity regarding leadership in Star Wars? Yeah, so you you touched on this a little bit earlier, but it's it's just kind of basically like the prequels, we see this very, you know, a more democratic form of of government and, and leadership within that government. And then we see this collapse. And then we predominantly see military-based leadership and authoritarian regime structures um, in the originals and the sequel trilogy. And so, yeah, my missed opportunity is just that, like, you have a universe. (laughs) You have have at least an entire galaxy. Mm -hmm. And with that can come so much diversity. And we don't even see as much diversity as we have in like our one planet you know in terms of leadership structures and governmental systems and stuff like that you know it's like yeah you mentioned anarchists like where are the anarchists and and where are the communists and where are people who are in favor of the theocracy or something like Mm -hmm. that like i think seeing those things would be really interesting and how those other forms of government and then 
how leaders are chosen in those types of groups or planets or societies. Um, yeah, just would have been really interesting, and, and I, I'm missing that. Yeah, and, and you saying that just made me think also about how for the sequel trilogy, we see the New Republic headquarters be destroyed mm-hmm. in The Force Awakens. We see the majority of the Resistance killed off in The Last Jedi, and then we get to The Rise of Skywalker, and from what I remember, there's no discussion about the way that governance continues to work, because we see the First Order continuing their their terror campaign, and they're trying to kind of build authority, and they're doing so mostly out of just a military occupation, but what is yeah what does governance look like at least in the in the original trilogy we heard some allusions to you know oh we dissolved the senate oh we have these imperial governors you know there's there's mm-hmm. these wider structures at play we don't really see that in this in the the sequel trilogy and i would love to see some of that that diversity that you're mentioning come from the lack of a cohesive central government in the galaxy at this time when the new republic has been destroyed and the first order is just trying to gain control you know are every is every planet on their own against the first order and and what does that look like and are some Mm -hmm. of those planets have interesting different kinds of of government structures yeah there's a lot of really juicy potential there that just has not been explored from what i've i've seen juicy potential juicy potential yeah (laughs) Yeah, well, what is your missed opportunity? Mine is actually about the original trilogy and how we don't really see the protagonist, the main trio, Luke, Han, and Leia. We don't see what kind of leaders they are. We mostly see their competence and, again, they're thrust into leadership just because they're good at stuff. And which I appreciate in Leia in particular, like she is clearly competent and it makes sense why she would be a senator and an ambassador and ultimately a general and and commander. But we don't see them inspiring troops or not doing so. We don't see them building tactics and coming up with plans. We don't see them, uh, you know, are they more task leaders or social leaders, you know, where... If they are the leaders of these this rebellion, are they doing so as just as symbols or as competent people? Or are they actually, you know, how do they fit within this organization and the structure that, that exists? And how do they organize and lead the people who answer to them? Yeah, that's definitely true. You have Luke, yeah, background in moisture farming with, I guess, a knack for piloting. Mm -hmm. But if he has these leadership abilities, how is he building into those? I mean, Leia, you could argue, was raised with this, right? Her her father is leader on their planet. And so it's like, yes, I'm sure she was raised with a lot. And, you know, you can see that she is at least seems to be effective, even if we don't really get to see it in action. And then you have Han, who's the smuggler, and charming. And charm can be an effective tool for leaders. But yeah, we we don't get to see it quite as much in action. And we don't see him charming many people. (laughs) He charms us as the audience. But, you know, the dude at the beginning of Empire who's like, you can't go out and and help Luke, your tauntaun will die before dawn. He's like, then I'll see you you in hell. hell. (laughs) Rude, Han, rude. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> Inspiring loyalty wherever he goes. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, why don't we go into our takeaways? What is, is your takeaway from this discussion? Yeah, I think that Star Wars, at least the movies, and I, I think I would extend that to the shows for what I've seen of them. I've, I've watched Clone Wars, and I've seen The Mandalorian up to date. Mm-hmm. I've only watched, like, the first season-ish of Rebels, so I can't really comment on that. Fake fan. <laughs> you haven't even watched it all, so, huh. <laughs> Been waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, they don't know that. <laughs> Neither of us have watched Resistance, I wanted, so. I wanted you to bring you down to my level. <laughs> Uh, but I think Star Wars, it has both, like, more shortcomings in, in the realm of leadership than I want, but it also has more nuance than I expected, <laughs> like, with the prequels, because mm. I think of the prequels, I'm just like, oh, brother, <laughs> because of some significant annoying things in the prequels, mm-hmm. but some of the comments on governmental structures and stuff are, are interesting and some of the strengths and challenges of leadership, I think, are shown there in ways that are not shown in the other trilogies. Um, so I, I appreciate that and I think there's there's so much potential and I hope we get to see a little more as Disney expands the universe. I do not have high hopes for that because it's disney (laughs) and when do they like to make any type of strong uh, societal comments but um we'll see i guess what about you what's your takeaway i think what's kind of coming to me right now and this is still kind of half formed but after this discussion i feel like the narrative and the ideals of the protagonists in star wars is kind of constantly pointing to democracy as a objective good. Mm-hmm. But the way that the narrative structure actually works is completely undemocratic. <laughs> it is all about heroes and villains. It is all mm-hmm. about the kind of great man narrative and, you know, evil man narrative with some women thrown in there occasionally. <laughs> um, a simplified good and evil very much so and 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 but personified typically in people not in systems not in organizations not in structures and mm-hmm. i think that's that's unfortunate on both sides because the empire is mostly a bunch of stormtroopers british accented officers and then the important people who we care about we mm-hmm. we see more imperials who are like named killed by other imperials than we do by rebels <laughs> by vader mostly and so yeah we we don't get to really understand what it means to be a member of the empire a, a citizen of the empire or a member of the first order or a senator in the galactic republic or the new republic you know i think that that ultimately means that responsibility is focused just to those with power, those who are narratively important. And instead of it being, you know, responsibility, I think, for the way society, any society operates should be diffuse amongst all the members of that society. Some mm-hmm. obviously have more power than others, but members, you know, typically have some power to 
engage with or, or defy structures. Mm. And I just love, like to see more of that. Totally. And like that kind of brings me back to our conversation about the Mandalorian and our Mandalorian episode about this Western colonial imperialist thing that Star Wars has going, uh, a narrative that I, until we were looking at it, I was like not even thinking about in mm-hmm. terms of Star Wars, but isn't that the United States? It's like democracy good, mm-hmm. but like not analyzing is this a real democracy or is this an oligarchy? Is this, you know, like not looking at different things and it's just like we should spread democracy at all costs, you know, and not looking at some of the shortcomings or some of the systems that are put in place to make it not really be a democracy. Mm-hmm. And and if, yeah. you are, if you are forcing someone to be within your democracy who doesn't want to be in your democracy. (laughs) That's not democratic. Exactly. (laughs) The U.S. has never had a problem with. We've never done that. We've never tried to force that on other countries. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of placing Star Wars, sadly to say, in that colonial narrative. Totally. Even even more so. Yeah. Yeah. And we haven't even gotten into the capitalist aspect of it. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, uh, (laughs) I think that that will probably (laughs) wrap it up for us. What will we be discussing next week? So next week, we are going to be returning to Harry Potter, and we are going to be looking at it through the theme of doubt slash trust. Okay, doubt and trust in Harry Potter. Yeah. Exciting. Well, thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our social media and our website in the episode description, or you can send us an email at geekbetween at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, you want to share your thoughts on democracy and leadership and all this other nonsense in Star Wars. I would say you want to call us communists, but nah, just don't write. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're not meaning it pejoratively. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're like, I love it. <laughs> We also want to thank our wonderful supporters on Patreon. You can join them at patreon.com slash geekbetweenthelines and get access to all sorts of fun bonus content, as well as help keep the show sustainable. Absolutely. We just recently got a new patron. So welcome, Dallas, and we look forward to sharing your geeky fact in future episodes. Yeah, and thanks again. We also want to thank Kimberly Taylor Pastel at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com or searching for Lacelet on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out! out.